Hello, everybody. I'm Brittany Ryder, and I'm filling in today because Tim is in Germany. I've never taught class before, so y'all bear with me. We're going to start out with prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath day. We thank you for everyone that's here with us in class and those that might be um, joining in with us on the Internet. We thank you for the opportunity to fellowship with like-minded believers, and we ask that you would guide our thoughts today and help to draw us closer to you and the knowledge of your character. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. This week is Lesson 11, and it's called Letting the Church Know. Uh, The focus of the lesson was on reporting to others, specifically the church, the results of your evangelistic efforts. I don't know about anybody else, but I wasn't overly inspired by this lesson. Um, So there's obviously good in reporting to others what you've done in evangelism, but we're going to spend a little bit more time in the scripture texts that were a part of the lesson instead of the lesson today, but we'll still go through it. Um... If anyone has anything about the lesson that I don't touch on that inspired you, feel free to bring it up. Uh, Starting on Sabbath's lesson, the memory text for this week was Mark 6.30, and it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And this was after Jesus had called the twelve, and he sent them out two by two to go preach to the people Um, heal them and cast out unclean spirits and so my question for you guys about this is what do you think was the apostles motivation for coming back to Jesus and reporting to him what the results of their evangelistic efforts were anybody have any thoughts well if I was sent by someone to do something I would imagine they would expect me to come back and give a report on what they accomplished yeah and I think it's more than that. You know, if you really do participate in that kind of thing today, you find there's it's so enjoyable. Someone I know called the Holy Spirit the spiritual Internet because it connects people, people who need something with people who can bring something. Yeah. And that's what the disciples did. They brought something to people who had no help. And that's fun, and it's mm-hmm. exciting, and you mm-hmm. want to sh- get back and share with everybody what happened. And But I often think of Judas as being one of the people who did that. Yeah. And and it's interesting to have experienced all this same thing, and yet come out with a whole different outcome. Yeah, that was kind of my take on it, was I just thought, um, you know, Jesus already knew what they accomplished, didn't he? I mean, he's God. He already knew what, you know, who all had been healed, and which spirits had been cast out, and for me, um, you know, I don't think he was looking for any baptismal statistics. He didn't need to rework their budget for the year. Um, no, he didn't even, he told them not to bring any money, not to bring any extra clothes. Just sent them out and gave them what they needed for um, for what they were doing. And I think that God will always provide for us whenever we go out and do his will. And I think that their motivation was probably mostly excitement. Um, how awesome would it be to have you know, given the power to heal people, and wouldn't you want to go tell everybody? Wendell? If you go back to uh, Mark six twelve, in the, in the story, he sends them out just in, in verses, the verses that goes before that, and it says that they went out and preached, men should repent, and they were casting out many demons, they were anointing with oil, many sick people, and healing them. Then it, we get this, the memory verse an, another chapter later. I think that there were high fives all around. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And then can you imagine? I mean, these guys, you know, were fishermen, mm-hmm. had never been, I mean, this is not their vocation. And yet they were sent out by their leader. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were super excited. Yeah, Kathy. It's kind of like when you're in school and you're being trained for something and then you actually go to the laboratory or to mm-hmm. real life experience and you actually do it and it works mm-hmm. and something happens. You're like so excited and you're back at the dorm talking about it or, you know, go home and tell your parents about it or, you know, it's just that's what they were being prepared for. Yeah, yeah. And a li- little bit later in the lesson it talks about motivation for reporting and um we'll get into that a little bit more later but but i think that they were mostly just out of excitement 
Um, okay, moving on to Sunday's lesson. Can someone read the second paragraph in Sunday's lesson? The one that starts out, while we... We cannot point to one specific Bible text that says, you must report because there is ample evidence that reporting was important in both the Old and New Testaments. Reporting is an activity in a chain of events. That is, someone prepares a report, someone receives the report, the report is evaluated, and then decisions are made, and actions are planned in response to what was reported. Um. So my question was, is there value in sharing with others the results of your reporting? Of course there is. Does anyone have any specifics on what, what's the value, what's the point of sharing with others what you've done in, in evangelism? It's an encouragement mm -hmm. to others. Yeah, that's what I said. Builds mm -hmm. faith and trust. I mean, that's one of the things I think he wanted to do. Don't stay in the little knot. Mm -hmm. Get out there and trust me that I'm going to take care of you. Yep. It's easy to stay kind of close to your, your pieces. Yep, absolutely. It's a learning tool also. It's, like, it's kind of like an evolutionary process in any culture. What what works, what, mm -hmm. what you know, is productive, what's maybe offensive, what's not. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Um, I felt like the, the lesson, I don't know if, if everyone read it or not, but it was very formal in the method of reporting, um, you know, charts and graphs. It just, it felt very cold and formal to me. Um, and, and I thought, you know, if you were being paid by the church, if you were a church employee and this was your job, of course you should come back and turn in a handwritten report or whatever. Um, but I think for the majority of us are lay people here. And so I didn't feel like it was quite as applicable to us because it's a lot more informal. Whereas I think that we're just sharing with friends and family our excitement over, you know, reaching other people for Christ. Um, so I didn't think it was super applicable, but anyways, um, and I guess one of my other questions was this, this type of formal reporting that was mentioned in the lesson, does anyone have any examples of that happening in the Bible? I couldn't think of any myself. Um, I didn't know if anyone else knew of one. They were telling what happened because it happened, mm -hmm. not because they were required to do it. Like you said before, they were excited about what happened. Mm -hmm. They were excited about God and, and what kind of a God he is, as opposed to what they thought he was. Yeah. And they were telling everybody about it. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think it was a formal report in that they didn't have all of the um, PowerPoint. And, mm -hmm. yeah. But when the spies came back from peeking into Canaan, they gave a pretty detailed, comprehensive report. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it was wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, and we do get into that a little bit later, and I guess we're talking about motivation, so we could jump ahead to um, Wednesday's lesson real quick, since we're on the topic of that. Um, let me find it. And what Kathy was referencing is the story in Numbers 13, um, where the spies were sent out to Canaan, and everyone except Joshua and Caleb gave a negative report. And what was their motivation for giving a negative report? Fear. Exactly. They were out to save themselves. They didn't want to go into the land because they didn't trust that God would help them take the land. And so their motivation for reporting to the people was based on fear. And Joshua and Caleb's motivation was based on faith and trust. And um, so... Along those lines, um, what, what do you guys think are appropriate motivations, not just for reporting, but for witnessing to begin with? What's a, what's a proper motivation or motive? Yeah. To encourage, but also you've got to realize the potency of reporting. Look what happened to the Israelites when they got that kind of report. They ended up in the desert many more years until mm -hmm. they were all dead, essentially. Only their children went into the promised land. I mean, that's a devastating result of a report. Mm -hmm. the, the potency of a report, it cannot be underestimated. And if you know that value, then your motivation 
if you're a Christian, should realize the potency of telling faith-filled events to other people in the response that you'll get. Yeah. And spies even recommended that they get another leader and go back to Egypt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They didn't want to follow Moses any longer. Yeah. Karen, you had a comment? I think the most exciting motivation that we can have to, to witness or to share our faith is simply what it does for that other person. As we're watching a person turning their life over to Jesus for the first time, and I, and I am thrilled to say I've had that experience, um, the tears running down their face, they're for, you know, realizing what, who God is and what he has done for them. If that doesn't get you excited... If that doesn't motivate you, I really don't know what else can. Yeah. So I think the motivation behind what it does for that other person, it does something for you as well, but what about them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wendell? Well, it goes back to what you're reporting. If you're reporting numbers of baptisms made or contacts made or pieces of, of literature passed out or whatever, that's one kind of report. But when you come back from something that's exciting to do, something that you're passionate about, and that you are immensely involved in, and you think is the greatest thing since you ever you ever lived, mm-hmm. you know, then that could be a totally different report. Yeah, absolutely. Both of them are uh, maybe critical, but um, it's hard. You know, it's like if you like chemistry and physics, trying to make someone else excited about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, any other thoughts about that before we move on? Yeah, yeah. I think there's also another motivation, and I agree with what, what he just said, but also there's the motivation, uh, the more people find out the truth, the more, the, the more quickly decisions are going to be made for or against the truth, the more quickly the Lord can come back. Mm-hmm. So if we don't report, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. We've got to do something. So yeah. That's, the, that's the, the way I look at it. Well, to me, I think just like everything else we talk about in this class, it's as simple as love. Our motivation for reaching out to other people and our motivation for telling others what we did when we reached out to other people, if it's based on love, if it's if it's other-centered, then it's going to be the right motivation and the right action. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. In Proverbs 24, this is just really strikes at my heart when I'm living a self-centered, self-involved life. Start, uh, Proverbs 24, starting with verse 11, it says, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. But if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does, he not, does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, well, let's stay in the Word, and we're going to go to Acts 3 and 4. Um, this is, specifically Acts 4 was the chapter that Sunday's lesson referenced. Um, So just to kind of sum it up, in this story, Peter and John were in the temple at prayer time, and Peter had just healed a lame man, and all the people were astonished in the temple. Uh, So Peter and John took this opportunity to um, witness to the people after they healed this man, um, and they told the people that they had done this in the name of Jesus, whom all these people had wanted to be crucified. And they told them that they needed to repent. Of course, the Jewish leaders were very upset about this. And Peter and John got thrown in prison overnight as a result of it. But Acts 4 tells us that as a result of that one um, episode of their witnessing, about 5,000 people were converted. In this instance, they were only put in jail for one night. But as we know, many of the early church leaders were put to death for what they were doing um, to, to witness to other people. And so my question was, would you sacrifice your life for what you believe to be true? Um, Would you be willing to be thrown in prison over the message that you believe in? Um, Obviously, we never know until we're put in that situation, but something to think about. Um, The number of followers of Christ increased tremendously in the early church. Why? Anybody? 
because people were willing to die for it at that time. Go ahead. Because they learned the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they were in error all that time, and they thought they had the truth. And then when they really hit, realized what the truth is, oh, this makes sense. And then you get excited about it, like we were talking about before, mm-hmm. excited about the truth, and you keep going and you keep going. But there's also another element here. Uh, there's people who believe a lie, who really believe that mm-hmm. lie, who are willing to die. Yeah, absolutely. So... You know, if you really believe in something, you're willing to die for it. Yeah, if you're passionate about it, whether it be true or false, you do crazy stuff, Tim. Uh, I think something that came to my mind was why were they in position where they were dying or, you know, like being persecuted? And it's because they were directly confronting the lie. They were directly confronting the error, and they were... Trying to be, you know, the 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 ones in error were trying to oppress them back. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason it was spreading is because they were proving the truth to be true by standing up to the lie, and then the one in in error, you know, re- reacting back and forth. Yeah, we're the most threat to Satan when we're the closest to the truth, and so that's when he attacks us the most. And when you look farther in, in Acts four. The church leaders were saying, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these Mm -hmm. men? They asked, everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they've done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called the men again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. But we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Yeah. Oh, thank you for telling the next part of the story for me. <laughs> um, let's see. Can I add something? A, a different layer maybe that we're missing on this mm-hmm. is that, um, is it possible that there reaction to the situation that we're in was the most powerful testimony. They were being persecuted. Yet they sing songs and they act like, wow, this is great, you know? And you bring it down to our level today is that how we respond there, you know, we talk about persecution, but there are stresses, there are other things in our lives. How we react and respond to that is a testimony of our faith in God, in our relationship with God. And they were seeing it and they're saying, wow, these people, look at them. We throw them in jail and look how they respond. This is incredible. And I think that itself is a great testimony. Yeah. And even today with us, how we respond in different challenges and different uh, stresses that we face also is a great testimony to our faith. Yeah. I'm just saying there's a different level here we need to look at too. Yeah, absolutely. You can be willing to die for something but do it begrudgingly, or you can do it singing and praising God. And so, yeah, thank you for adding that. Something that I thought was really powerful to me um, was, I guess I'll start off with this question. Which disciple was it that denied Christ three times? Peter. Peter. Which one in this story was filled with the Holy Spirit and in that same temple proclaiming his name to everyone without fear of what was going to happen to him? Peter. Peter. Why? Why did this change occur in him? Um, Obviously, he wasn't fully converted even after spending three and a half years with Christ because he was still seeking to save himself. But after witnessing um, Christ's death and resurrection and maybe after recognizing the weaknesses in himself after his denial of Christ, he completely changed and he didn't care about his own life anymore. And I thought that that was really powerful when I realized it's the same person in the same temple um, and a completely different response in a very similar situation. And I thought, you know, God is so good that he sticks with us and he's so faithful to us. And even if there's only a flicker of good in us, he doesn't give up. Even if we give up on him, he never gives up on us. And I just thought this was a really powerful testimony of how God changes our heart. I think it also shows that there's a process. I think sometimes we expect people to change like that, mm-hmm. you know, or we, we lock them in and do not think they're capable. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely, and that's a good reason why we shouldn't judge people, because you never know where they're at in the transition. They're moving in the right direction. They might just be at the very beginning of the journey. Yeah. 
And I, and I think God, you know, God can see ahead, so he sees where we're going to wind up. You know, he sees, and we just see where we are today. But God knows, he already sees the future. He sees our progression, so he knows. I mean, he knows. He knows our potential, and he knows, he knows where we're going to wind up. Yeah, he does. And the Sabbath school lesson is about motivation. So if you're talking about motivation, the greatest motivator is God's love. And if you think about that, I mean, when... Jesus was discovered to have resurrected from the tomb. The very first thing the angel said is, he gave instructions to go tell the disciples and Peter. Those two words, and Peter. He included and Peter in there, even though Peter had denied Jesus three times. And I think just that, those two words, and Peter, is an encouragement to Peter. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, he still loves me. And so yeah. love is that motivator to Peter after all this whole thing. Absolutely. <clears throat> Why do you think he got named Peter? I mean, when he came to Christ, he didn't have a name Rock. Mm-hmm. He had a different name. And, and Christ saw him at the first time and saw his future history and realized what he was going to become. And he named him with his potential. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks for pointing that out. And I think we shouldn't get discouraged because, like everyone has pointed out, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what our potential is. Only God does. I think what is right the themes of the book of Acts is actually the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And in Acts 1.8, it says, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, ye shall be my witnesses. Mm-hmm. Not maybe, might, possibly, you shall be. Yeah. So these people, having gone through the crisis of the cross, desired that representative of Christ. And when they were filled, it was a natural result. They bore fruit. Mm-hmm. Because of the Holy Spirit. Yep. If you look at Matthew uh, 26, it, it just dawned on me for the first time really reading this in Gethsemane. When Jesus came back from uh, praying and so on, struggling, well, before that, he took, verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Um, So on. And then down in verse 40, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Because he knew what was ahead of Peter. And he knew what it would take to combat what he was about to face. But Peter didn't realize it. And he didn't heed the warning either. Yeah. Yeah. Something else I thought is from from the world's perspective, from everyone else's perspective, Peter was completely converted as soon as he left everything and followed Christ. We saw someone today that left their family and their home and their money and their job and just went out and started living for God. Then we would be like, wow, that person is really, you know, just all the way there. But even even then, we don't know. We don't know the heart. We don't know where people are at. So either on the you know, people appearing to have it all together or people appearing to not have it together at all. We don't know. Tim? I suppose that uh, if they were on an evangelizing crusade and there was a bunch of Peters there, that would have caused a bad report. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> all right. So along in the same story, focusing on the Jewish leaders, um, the Sadducees were particularly anxious to stomp out this message of Christ because it threatened their most cherished doctrine of the resurrection. Um, And it would be detrimental to their authority and their reputation if Christ really had raised from the dead and their doctrine was proven to be false. So how would you respond if your most cherished doctrine were challenged and your reputation was at stake? Would you do whatever it takes to defend your doctrine? Or would you admit that you might be wrong and study it out further? After all, The truth is able to withstand any amount of testing and scrutiny, right? All right. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? It depends on what your your favorite doctrine is. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Well, you know, I think we have to be very, very cautious that the truth is Jesus Christ. And we can never take any doctrine, you know, and, and base. Put too much faith in a doctrine or a denomination. Our faith always has to be in the rock, and that's Jesus Christ. And we have to totally surrender to him and be willing to say, 
Ew. You know, I've been wrong once. I might, could, I might, you know, I don't know if I've got the truth except I got Jesus Christ, so I got the truth because I got Jesus Christ. Preach it, Mama. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Moving on to Monday. Um, the next story that we're going to jump into is Acts 21, 19 to 25. Um, in this story, Paul's return from a missionary journey. He was gone to, to witness to the Gentiles. And he was reporting to James and the elders how God had blessed his trip. Some of them were concerned that he was not teaching the Gentiles to follow the Mosaic law. The elders wanted Paul to go through some sort of ceremonial action with some other men that were taking a vow. And from what I gathered, it was some sort of Nazarite vow um, that just showed that they were separating themselves out for the Lord and just kind of taking, um, taking some time to to dedicate themselves to him. Um, so the, the Jewish leaders wanted, or not the leaders, but the, the elders that were there, wanted uh, Paul to go through this vow with the rest of these men and to pay the costs, whatever the expenses were, to go through this vow, um, sacrifices and shaving their heads and whatever it was that they were doing. Um, they were hoping that if he did this, that it would put to rest the slanders against him from the Jewish people that he was teaching um, against the Jewish tradition and the Jewish law. Um, and this paying of these expenses was an act of like a religious uh, fulfillment of a religious obligation or just they wanted it to, to look like he was still on board with them. At the end of this week long process of this vow ritual stuff that they were going through, um, the Jews stirred up a riot over Peter, teaching against their law and bringing the Greeks into their temple, and they beat him and tried to kill him. And from what I read, there's some debate about whether or not this was the right thing for Paul to do. Um, did you guys read the story? I don't know if I did a real good job of, of breaking it down and explaining it, but did anyone have any thoughts about you know, was Paul doing the right thing by just going through these actions to, I don't know, impress the Jews? It seems to me that it kind of wasn't the right thing because if you've got people against you, it really doesn't matter what you do. You know, and, and clearly it didn't mm -hmm. matter. You know, they were against him before he did this mm -hmm. and they persecuted him after he did it. And they actually assumed and based on a lie, they, they beat him. You know, so... It doesn't matter what you do. Other people who are against you, if they are not true seekers, they don't really seek the truth, they'll find a way. Mm -hmm. They'll they'll twist things and, you know, stir up those who are less, uh, who are basic followers, I suppose. Yeah. Who, who don't think for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and along the lines of what you're talking about of, you know, he did all this and then look how it ended up. He ended up still getting beaten and still being thrown in prison. And um, just, I guess, sort of a little personal story along the lines of this text for myself is this week I was just praying that God would give me the, just, you know, give me the right words to say and the right things to talk about. And was just kind of feeling um, like I wasn't, qualified or prepared to to get up here and speak and um I, I know there's probably a lot of different thought out there about whether or not god caused us to open the bible to the right text or whatever but um i prayed you know um lord just give me some sort of something to to help me feel like you're going to be with me you're going to help me do this and <clears throat> afterwards i i just closed my eyes and i opened up my bible and it was acts 21 um the story that we're on right now and I was like, there's like 1,100 pages in the Bible, and I opened up to Acts 21. It was one of the like three chapters that we're sort of focusing on for this week. And so I was like, there's like a three in 1,100 chance that I was going to open up to that story. And I hadn't actually read the rest of the story. I had just read what the, the part of Acts 21 that the lesson had just sort of broken out. And I didn't know what happened. I didn't know what happened at the end of the story. And so I felt like it was God kind of saying, here, here's the rest of the story you didn't read. And I just thought it was kind of cool. Kathy? Well, I think there's two sides to the concept that you're talking about. Because later on, when Paul was standing in front of the statue to the unknown God, he actually spoke to them in a language, in a way, and 
from a perspective that they understood, I don't think it's necessarily bad for us to do what we can do mm -hmm. to put ourselves in a position of communication with other people. I don't necessarily think what Paul did was wrong. Mm -hmm. I think what they did was wrong. Yeah. But I think that's part of them being without excuse. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When somebody puts themselves out like that, if there is something that I can do that puts me on common ground with someone else, it may not always work, but it's always worth the effort. This is a perfect segue. Um, can someone read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23? And we're going to stay on that line of thought. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Thank you. It's almost a little bit of a tongue twister <clears throat> verse, and <laughs> I don't know about everybody else, but sometimes Paul just really confuses me. Um, but, so we're going to spend some time in that verse and break it down. Um, in verse, and, and y'all feel free to jump in and add your thoughts if, if I'm off track here. Um, verse 19, when he says, to win more, I think that's pretty clear. He's talking about winning souls or you know, people over to Christ. Um, in verse 20, where he says, he became a Jew to the Jews. The story that we just read in Acts 21 is an example of this. It was an example of him relating to the people that he was trying to reach. He, he knew what their customs were and, and how he could relate to them and how he could find common ground with them. And that's what he did. Um, circumcising Timothy was, is an example. Eating as they ate when they were with him. Just, you know, finding common ground with them was, in, was the examples that... I found any ways of, of him being a Jew unto the Jews. Um, still staying in verse 20, being under the law, from what I found anyways, was the Jews that were still keeping the Mosaic laws. And an example of Paul doing this, again, um, was, sorry, being under the law. I don't know, I just got myself confused. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have a quote from a Bible commentary. It says, He was emancipated from the law as a means of salvation, yet he knew how to speak to them because of his former beliefs and life with them. He knew how to put the gospel to them without compromise and without offense. Um, moving on to verse 21, those without the law, meaning the Gentiles that were without the Mosaic law. And another quote um, not being without the moral law, but under the law of Christ, which is the law of love, which obliged him to take every lawful and proper method for the good of such souls. And that was out of a, another Bible commentary. <clears throat> what do you guys think about that quote? It was maybe not super clear, but anybody have any thoughts so far? Yeah. I think one of the most important things that we can do in reaching out to others, to sharing, is to build bridges mm -hmm. and, and find something that we could connect with people with. A few days ago, as I was getting ready to uh, leave to come over here from Texas, uh, and I was on a very tight schedule, and two Jehovah's Witness missionaries uh, showed up at my door, and um, very, you know, very nicely dressed, very polite, and asked if I was interested in studying the Bible. And I said, well, yes, I, I am. I, I love the Bible. I actually teach a class. And I told them I was a Seventh-day Adventist. But I immediately, God inspired me to remember that we have a, we have a bridge. And that bridge is their biblical understanding of the state of the dead. Mm -hmm. Right on track. And so I started to, I'm so appreciative of the fact of, of your biblical understanding of the state of the dead. And that put them at ease. So we began to talk, and of course they handed me a couple of pieces of literature, and I just happened to have some with me, which uh, on health that I shared with them. 
But again, an illustration was of what Paul was doing, what mm-hmm. the apostles did, to seek to build bridges, to connect as Christ did. And yeah. then people are put at ease and are more likely to, to listen and to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In verse 22, when he's talking about the weak, um, from my understanding, it was people that were weak in their knowledge or in their faith. And in the commentary I was in, it says, according to Paul, an example of this would be in Romans 14, 2, where he talked about vegetarians being weak in faith. But we won't open that can of worms today. <laughs> um, something that I found out is that apparently this particular section of scripture is um, a common area of attack by Muslims. Because they say that it proves that Christians use deception as a means to gain converts. And they say that Paul was admitting that he deceived people into thinking that he was whatever they were and that he believed the same things as they did in order to deceptively convert them. But I think we're told not to unnecessarily excite prejudice in other people. Mm -hmm. You can approach people in such a way that brings the walls up so high, nothing else you can do after that can bring them back down. You have to find a way to to meet people in a way that they don't throw Mm -hmm. the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's a whole difference between us and them and trying to create a, you know, a we and I think, uh, as Tim's pointed out a number of times, Christ did that so effectively in um, presenting himself to the angels as the archangel, mm-hmm. presenting him to us as a human. He was becoming what we were. He was actually taking on our characteristics, as Paul did, to be able to communicate with us in a way that we could relate to. And I think, you know, that's a... Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this text out of the message paraphrase reads this way even though i am free of the demands and expectations of everyone i have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people religious non-religious meticulous moralists loose living immoralists the defeated the demoralized whoever i didn't take on their way of life i kept my bearings in christ but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Do you guys like that? That's very good because uh, what he did, he didn't fake doing that. Mm -hmm. He actually did it. So it wasn't a deception. Mm-hmm. It was actually involved in, in those people's lives. And yeah. it became what they were. Yep. As I was reading, I came across this quote. Um, I wondered what you guys thought about it in reference to what we're talking about. Um, it's Thomas Jefferson, and he says, In matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. You guys like that? I liked it. So the question is, how far should we go to accommodate people with different beliefs than our own when attempting to win them over to Christ? Should we not go as far as the law of Christ will allow us? How do we determine when this is compromising our faith? What, what areas do we kind of get loosey-goosey on to, to meet people where they're at? Is there any guidelines you guys think? What is the good news? You know, as long as it doesn't change the good news. The good news is about God. And as long as we keep the focus on Him and His love and and those principles, then the extras are extra. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Also, it's not our job to win people. Our job is to be a witness. And then let the truth do the work, let the Holy Spirit do the work. Mm-hmm. So if we're out trying to get people, I think we're going to run into trouble. But if we're out just presenting the truth, let the truth take care of it. Yeah, so. or just out loving people. Um, the bottom of Monday's lesson says, Today we also struggle with division among us as to how to re- best reach souls. What are some of the struggles particular to the church in your part of the world, and how can you help bring about resolution? Anyone have any things they want to... Oh, all the way in the back. 
Um, one of our online listeners, Chris, mentioned that Paul was a tent maker. He was just living everyday life. And in doing that, he was among the people. And then another one of our listeners mentioned that he was, he was out there serving the people. Yeah. Thank you for that input. Anybody want to talk about anything before we move on to Tuesday? Yes. I think sometimes we'll, we'll come out, and what I've seen with people in, in the helping profession is that we will do it from a high level and not be connected. And I think what she was saying is exactly how it is. We need to be amongst the people. And I know when I help with the um, community kitchen, it's real interesting to see people come in and help. And they're about the helping and the notoriety with it, but they're not even talking to the people. Yeah. And I think that that, if you don't have that disconnect, you know, if you do have that disconnect, you're not going to connect with them. Yeah. And people can feel that even without you talking. Mm-hmm. They f- can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as our part of the world and difficulty witnessing, I think in our situation, the there's a jaded feeling about Jesus. And you see it on TV and Christianity and people think they know it all. And that doesn't interest them anymore. Now they're interested in Eastern religions and mystical things and witches and whatever. You know, anything mm-hmm. that appears to be something new or, or curious, you know, then they're interested in that. You can get almost the same message from a, an Eastern religion and people go, oh, that's great. But you say it under the name of Christianity and, eh, mm-hmm. you know, and you fight that when you're talking with people who think they know. Yeah. Is there another one back there? I like what Hudson Taylor did when he went to China. He became a Chinese as much as he could. He dressed like them. He ate their food. And, you know, there are a thousand lifestyles, and it's not an issue of right and wrong. But if we can become as much like them, as long as we don't compromise principle, Mm -hmm. where they're not distracted by our, our obvious difference, where they can see Christ instead of seeing you know, our strange dress, mm-hmm. you know, then it's good. Yeah. And I think that's what Paul was doing. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think it's great because it goes back to Romans 3, and and I have a little different translation of Romans 3, but Paul there, he says, he says, um, we basically are all in the same boat. God, uh, do Jews get a bread or break the others? Do, do Jews have a... A corner of the market, not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical condition, which is to say we all start out as sinners. And if we come in there with this ideal, hey, I'm the saint and you're the sinner, automatically we're on a different level. We're all in the same boat. We all need Christ. And that's really important to, to understand that. And um, then Paul, later on the end of the chapter, he states, he says, you know, God is a God of outsider." Non-Jews as well as insider Jews. How could it be otherwise? You know, so mm-hmm. I think if we kind of look at it that way as we approach and witness for others, we're all in the same boat. We all need a Savior. And I, I totally agree with him. But what I was going to say is I think there's so much more power in prayer than in preaching. That if we just love people and we pray for them, and they don't even have to know we're praying for them, I think sometimes it's better if they don't. But there's, I've just found in my own life, there's so much power in prayer. And you praying for somebody, and then you begin to see a change. And, you know, then you know that's a whole Holy Spirit thing. That's not a me or you thing. That's just God. The idea of praying to people, and, and then, to my mind, praying makes you very intentional about what it is that's important whether it's with that person or whether it's something in your own life. And there's actually a connection in, in terms of, of reporting as mm-hmm. we started out with this class because in reporting, you're essentially making yourself responsible for some result, for being there, for being present, showing up, and, and also for the ultimate uh, goal and, and in, in our church, in our class, for instance, we have gathered to make ourselves responsible to make the world more aware of a healing model of salvation. And, of course, on another scale, this is what the, the Christians were doing. 
when they were making their separation from, from uh, Judaism. And of course, there are multiple layers of value and, and wisdom and truth and everything in the Jewish system. But they needed to focus on something more specific. And so are we as a class. That's a good point. Um, we're still on Tuesday's lessons. They're going to kind of move into another um, another topic unless someone else has anything else to say about this one. The last paragraph on Tuesday's lesson, I believe that's what we're on anyway, says, Those very early missionaries went everywhere they possibly could, preaching about Jesus and his kingdom. Because of the reported and recorded results, we can assume that they also issued powerful invitations to their hearers. This continual preaching and appealing caused the dramatic results in church growth recorded in the book of Acts. So when I read this, I thought, do people really need a powerful appeal or invitation? Is that necessary? Yeah? Why do you think so? If you never are invited... You won't make any response. Some people wait for that invitation. Maybe some people do. Maybe some people need it. Um, I personally felt like if someone is really converted in their heart, that, you know, God invites them. You know, he, he talks to them and invites them into his family. And I don't know that the altar call, per se, is biblical. Eve? I I actually am mildly offended by the wording in that sentence because it wasn't the preaching and the appealing that caused the dramatic results. It was the truth about Christ Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit working among the people that they were talking to. You know, anytime that we take what we say and say, oh, look, because I was preaching and because I gave the appeal, this was the result. Mm -hmm. That's not so. You know, it's, it's God who produces the result. And on the idea of appeals, I am among those who are quite frankly annoyed by most appeals. You know, um, the preacher starts moving into that, and I just go, oh, "Really?" Yeah. So th- there are all kinds. <laughs> yeah. Um, it works for some; it doesn't work for others. But God works for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I, I personally, not a huge fan of the pressure of well, before closing prayer, you got to make your decision. I just. I'm not a big fan, and I couldn't couldn't find anywhere in the Bible where there's an altar call. If anyone else knows of it, bring it up. I think I was just going to bring it up, but that that appeal may not have been an altar call. (laughs) Probably not. Let's continue studying. (laughs) You know, it would have been. It made just make sense. Well, let's continue studying about God. Let's keep learning about this, and they all gathered together to do that. Yeah, hopefully that's what it was. Elijah, I mean, choose this day who you're going to serve. Make up your mind. If you're ever in marketing or sales, you can talk about something to the day the cows come home. But what you're really trying to do is get people to see the difference between what their habit and what their life's been and make a choice to change that. And yeah. it's not easy because people are really friendly with their habits. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. They don't want to give those up. Even if they're strongly appealed to, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to give up what you've had for something new. And sometimes that does require somebody saying, okay, we've presented the evidence. Make a decision. You know, it's time. Don't put it off anymore. Putting it off even a day could be too late for you. You know, it's important to do it now. Okay, here and then in the back. I totally agree with you that it shouldn't be, you shouldn't try to motivate them by sensationalism or or just the emotion of the moment. However, I, I feel like because Christ is everything to us, um, you know, I don't want to say, hey, Johnny, you know, it would probably be a good idea if you gave your heart to the Lord, you know. But, Johnny, Christ is everything to me. He loves you so much. He wants a, a relationship with you forever. And I don't want you to miss out on that. In other words, if they see your boldness and that you value, if you hold it in the highest esteem, it's the most important thing in the world to you then they might realize, I need to be bold and venture out and be willing to give everything. Yeah, and I like that because that's on a personal level, and I think that that's completely appropriate. To me, it's the pressure to get up and walk to the front and kneel down and show everyone that, you know, you've made a decision for Christ. I think there's a place for public display. Isn't that what baptism is? 
um, all the way in the back online. Um, I was just thinking, rather than being an altar call, the appeal would be something like what the early disciples did, you know, where where they had Jesus coming to them, and then they wanted to go out and invite a friend to come and take a look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes people just don't know where to go to get the right information. And if we could just give them the invitation to take a look at this, you know, it, that might be the kind of appeal that would be more winsome than an altar call. Yeah, there's all kinds of invitations and all kinds of appeals. So maybe in my mind I had the altar call, what I was thinking of. Tim? I think as, as scripture as a whole, the public um, declaration thing seemed to be, seems to be m- many fewer times. It's m- more that we see personal invitations on personal levels and not out in public. There were special circumstances, I think, that brought about the instances like the prophets of Baal and things that caused it to be a public display. Mm-hmm. Just like we've just talked about, Paul did many different things to attract to different different things. You know, some of us are very uncomfortable with specific avenues in which we're invited to do things, and yet others are very comfortable. With mm-hmm. And so, just like Peter, he preached and had an altar call for three thousand people or five thousand, whatever it was, mm-hmm. etc. You know. And that worked on that day, not because Peter did it, but because the Holy Spirit was there directing the, their minds to see something that they had not seen before. Yeah. So whether it's me, it's, it's you and I talking um, as friends and, and, be, and me inviting you to explore something together, or whether it is someone standing in front in a different venue, both are used. And some people will never come to Christ unless publicly asked to make a commitment. That's a good point. And really, even after all the study about the different ways to reach people, I didn't think about that. So thank you. I think that's kind of a generational thing, too. I mean, you know, when we think about the way evangelism used to be, and it worked. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It worked. Itinerant preachers went from place to place to place. They only had a limited amount of time there. They dealt with things differently maybe than we do today. And I think for my mom, Mm -hmm. that would feel comfortable to her. Yeah, yeah, right behind you. (laughs) The Bible talks about the rich young ruler that came to Christ and said, well, uh, I want to follow you. But Jesus said, well, you have to give up everything, give your money to the poor. And this was a failed altar call, in a way. And another example is King Agrippa, when Paul witnessed to King Agrippa, remember? And at the end, King Agrippa said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. In other words, we can't expect success whenever we, we witness there will be failure sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Paul failed here. But yeah. at the same time, he won many souls to Christ. Y'all are helping me out so good. That was the next point, too. <laughs> um, the bottom section of the page on Tuesday, um, it says, It is, of course, encouraging when we hear stories of successful evangelistic efforts. How do we respond, however, when things don't go so well, when our plans seem to fail? When our efforts appear to do no good at all, what should our response be? My question to that was, how do we measure success? Do numbers really mean anything? We, you know, baptize 5,000 people and then 4,500 can leave the church the next week. To me, I don't know that numbers are really the measure of success. Um, Yeah. It's like what's been said so many times in this class, present the truth in love and leave people free to choose that. And we never stop doing that. But God, as you've pointed out already, does with us. He never gives up. Mm-hmm. We, we keep presenting that truth in love, but people are always free. Yeah. There's also a process that Paul describes of some plant, the seed, some water, and, and the spirit brings it to fruition. And some people are there when that yeah. Flower, mm-hmm. flowers, uh, but the person who planted the seed may never see mm-hmm. that fruit, but just does what he or she is convicted to do at the time. Yeah, Tim. If success is judged and deemed successful by public declaration, then I guess Jesus failed three times with Peter. 
Yeah. <clears throat> At least, it, yeah. If if he hadn't have been God, he he died for good. Or you know, if he hadn't have been raised three days later, he would have thought that he failed with Peter, but he didn't. I think a lot of times too, we don't see the success, and sometimes you just kind of have to trust with God. Because I know when I started going to church, I was seven, and I knew my primary school teacher. Sabbath school teacher until she died and we were talking one day and she said she felt like she never brought anybody to Christ and I said I'm here mm-hmm. I mean she made a you know and I think a lot of times we don't see things as they are we see them as we are so we just have to trust God whatever happens with sit- the situation it's about you not me mm-hmm. um, I guess there and then you okay and um, I think sometimes too maybe what we're looking for might not be what God is looking for that person might be right you know God the Holy Spirit's working on them and God's doing exactly what he wants to do with them, and we don't see it because we've got them in a box and we've got an idea. I know the last couple of weeks I've had a situation at work where a lady that speaks in tongues has really been working on me, trying to get me to, you know, do that and come to her church, and she's sincere, she means well. And I've wondered how many times I've done that to people, you know, not just look at their relationship with Christ and, and flower that and, and, and see that little flower begin to grow, but if they're not thinking just like me, and making the same choices I'm making, then they're not where God wants them. That it's a process, and I think we just have to trust the Lord. I think if we uh, we don't think it went that well when we're finished, I think we have to ask ourselves: Did I present the truth, and could I have done it better? Uh, I think as we do things, we get better at it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at ourselves and saying, "Could I have done better?" And I think I, I, obviously, I think everybody has probably thought them, of themselves. Could I have done whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, whatever situation you're in? Could I have done that better? Yeah. And I think as we go, we just get better at doing things. So I think that there's some merit in, in that, taking a look at, at how we're doing it. Yeah. Ultimately, how we get better is we surrender more, yeah. and we stop depending on ourselves. Aren't you looking forward to heaven? Because yeah. all these things <laughs> that you don't know about, people are going to come up to you. And tell you about something that happened that you have no clue about. Mm-hmm. I think it's be the greatest thing in the world to meet with people I have missed. You know, to tell people what they met in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been some people who had profound influence in my life, and yet, as the teacher said, nothing ever happened. You know, just yeah. a dumb kid that didn't do anything. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, and, and something that I thought about is, you know what, even if you, even if you didn't reach them and ultimately they're not going to be in heaven telling you, wow, you know, what you said to me really changed my life. What if maybe the only reason that God, you know, gave you the impression that you should go talk to someone is because it would change you. Um, any, we're almost at time. Yeah, go ahead. In presenting Christianity, um, to people, of course, there's there's tradition, and then there's there's the personal experience and that sort of thing. And I'm thinking that it's really important to realize that not everyone understands the symbols of Christianity as we do. A, a lot of people have expectations of more literal results in people's lives, or like like for instance the. Uh, healings and so forth, or, or these 5,000 people that just got the tongues of fire and, and were, were lit up by the Holy Spirit, so to speak. Well, you know, in Russia, for instance, you know, they, they say that when they were first uh, holding these big meetings after communism basically allowed it or, you know, went down, uh, there would be thousands and thousands of people at the first meeting. And then the second night or the third night, it would be down to a few hundred. Well, what what's the expectation that you have of of what of what you're going to to receive and and what can you share you know and and i think that really puts more humility into the situation to realize that you do have to depend on god for that that power but you also have to res- rely somewhat on what seems to be institutional organization in order to make anything happen. All right. Um, well, it is 11.20, so let's go ahead and close with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this class, and thank you so much for um, just 
bringing your spirit here to be with us, and thank you for all these people and their participation, and just ask that you be with us as we go into our week, and that you would help us to have a motivation of love and in our day-to-day life to reach out to people and present the truth of your love to them. And we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.